man. You're a very bad man. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And oh, what a show we have for you today. This kind of show, the likes of which you've never heard, but we're ready oh, to present it. Only if you're turning the TV on. That's then you've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good time. And we have our very special guest, Dr. Caroline Heldman with us today, our favorite pundit, as I announced to all concerned on the social media yesterday. But before we bring in our honored guest of the hour, let's say hello to our producer, bad boy Benny at the board. Benny Mathers, how are you, sir? Good day, you two. And to Suzanne, uh, happy belated. So the big thank 22, you, right? You. 22? Uh, 22? Yeah, 29. Hey! Uh, yeah. Yeah, again, uh, I had a wonderful birthday yesterday. It was uh, it was a magical day. I mean, every once in a while, you get handed a magical day, and I I oh. had one that was very very nice. And I appreciate everybody who sent me Facebook greetings and people who called and wrote and and uh, brought gifts over. And I, I tell you, it's nice to be the Suzanne. I'll tell you, it was right? yesterday. <laughs> We hope you're on a roll so, throughout this coming so year. So thank you. Thank you very much. And and I understand, Benny, that uh, mm -hmm. Bracken made the finals. Yes, for the hockey. we are hockey. in the playoffs. Made yep. The playoffs. Uh -huh. yeah, playoffs, the playoffs start next week. Yep. So very excited about that. We'll be tuned in because that's my favorite professional sport. Yeah. And we've improved to 100 points. I don't know if anyone is big hockey goers out there, but, you know, you collect points over the season. And last year yep. it was a 60 yep. point season and this is a 40 point addition. So yep. it's good yep. for yep. Very season good. Two. Yeah. Very good. We, Gary and I were the ones that were promoting hockey in Seattle for years and people thought we were crazy. And, I was griping about over 20 years. And now, <laughs> now they're going to the playoffs. Yeah, so, so they finally... How smart do we look today, Gary? <laughs> well, fairly, but I'll tell you, I don't care which whichever other team you are for, except the Boston Bruins, whoever you are, you are playing David to the Boston Bruins as Goliath. That much is for sure. Yeah. So yeah. it's it is going to be an interesting uh, Masters second season. Now now it gets intense. Yeah, now now you get down to the the nitty and the gritty, and uh, we'll be checking in with you about that, Benny. All next right. week sounds good. You know the thing. Right. Whenever we it's, it seems like it's almost like a pattern. It seems to me whenever we get ready to bring, uh, if I'm not presumptuous, our friend because she feels like a friend to us, Dr. Caroline Heldman of Occidental College. Whenever we invite her, I can count on being overtaken by events they yeah. come rushing I know. at us it's like it's, every time we schedule her things, oh, we can talk about so abc and then, yeah and then here comes def all the way to xyz right. and we have to sort all that out in order to jam as much meaningful conversation as we can into the space of a radio hour so why don't we give this lady her mad props and start talking Dr. Caroline Heldman, professor at Occidental College, earned her PhD in political science from Rutgers University and specializes in the American presidency and systems of power. She previously taught at Whittier College, Fairfield University, and Rutgers University. Professor Heldman, 
graduated summa cum laude with a degree in business management from Washington State University and has worked extensively in the private sector. There's a lot more to be said about her, and we'll let you know how you can read more about her curriculum vitae at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, we are thrilled to have you back once again, Caroline Heldman. It is so good to see you, Gary and Suzanne, and I'm literally seeing you. I know, uh, you know, right. <laughs> not not everyone, just uh, listeners at home, but it is, it's a joy to see you and Suzanne. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. We, um, we just made a bullet point list today of like four or five things and said, we're just going to throw this against the wall and see what she has to say. But the thing that has caught my interest the most in the last week, this week, has been the whole Clarence Thomas scandal. And I'm wondering um, what you what you think is happening with the Supreme Court there and something like that, which is now in the headlines every day. Well, it's it's fascinating to me that uh, we're now discovering that Clarence Thomas is really operating under a different set of rules than any of the other justices. So this isn't a partisan issue, right? Um, this is a man whose spouse uh, was has been connected to January 6th, um, certainly promoting the idea uh, that led folks to go to D.C. So we, we have all of this information about her communication with you know folks who were violent on January 6th, which is incredibly troubling. And of course, the, the latest uh, revelation is that he has been accepting extravagant gifts um, in the form of vacations uh, from a major Republican donor over the years. And he's claiming that he didn't know it was an ethical violation uh, because he didn't know he needed to report gifts like this. Um, so first off, it's a ridiculous claim for him to say that he didn't know because government officials uh, go through extensive training and especially Supreme Court justices and our highest officials are very well aware and their their staff are very well aware of what they should be reporting and what what they should not be. Um, so I don't I don't buy his ignorance claim. Um, I think that this might be the first time. I, so I don't think he'll be removed and I'll talk about why in a minute. But I I I think this will be the first time that maybe we see in the, in modern history an impeachment proceeding. We saw one in the 1800s. It didn't go anywhere. But the impeachment proceeding, by the way, for Supreme Court justices looks very similar to the presidency. So um, you're impeached in the House and then you're removed in the Senate. Um, I think they'll have a really difficult time um, removing Clarence Thomas from his position because it, I think it will be difficult to prove that there's a link between receiving extravagant gifts from a major Republican funder and uh, Supreme Court decisions. Uh, but with that said, I think we might see some, at least some impeachment action in the House. It's hard to predict, uh, but this certainly warrants it because it, I feel like the court has been compromised in terms of basic ethics with Clarence Thomas now sitting on it, given what we know. Speaking of ethics, Caroline, I watched his hearings on TV, his confirmation hearings all those years ago. That was one that I was very interested in, and I became especially interested during Anita Hill's um, testimony about his behavior and what she went through. And when I looked at the two of them, I said, I believe her. I do not believe him. And and so I have never liked Clarence Thomas. I, I thought he was probably a scoundrel from the get-go. 
and um, and this really proves it, including this latest thing about how Harlan Crow bought his property, uh, two pieces of vacant land and a house, and then let his mother live there. And and how is that not a gift? It's a direct gift, as are all of these cruises and all of you know all of these extravagant gifts. And Suzanne, you bring up a really pivotal moment in time, right? And we, we saw the Year of the Woman in 1992 because of those hearings, because when Anita Hill got in front of the American public, she was by and large believed, and I think she was very much believed by women um, who you know had faced especially you know higher rates of sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, she was all of us. I just remember that being a click moment for a lot of folks who uh, realize, you know, feminist click moment, who realized the system didn't work. And if you take a look at how the system didn't work, Joe Biden was in charge of that hearing uh, as senator at the time. And he very purposely made sure that three other witnesses were not brought forward who had both evidence of, you know, uh, direct experience of sexual harassment or claims of sexual harassment from Clarence Thomas or witnessed it. And so it is not surprising to me, and I don't know how many you know listeners know this, but uh, Clarence Thomas faced additional sexual harassment allegations um, after he was confirmed. Uh, Moira Smith came forward. I mean, this is a man who has so many allegations of sexual harassment, and yet, you know, Joe Biden and the Democrats you know, basically rigged that hearing system so that you know when Anita Hill sat before the American public, that that essentially her voice was discounted. And I think it's important to keep in mind too that. She didn't want to come forward. She didn't want to give that testimony. Uh, she had made uh, an anonymous report uh, and had no intention of being a national public figure in launching, you know, the Year of the Woman in 1992, where we saw, you know, a, a higher number of women elected to public office. But yeah, Clarence Thomas um, has had, let's say, ethical uh, concerns and, and and concerns about, you know, his sexual um, deviance and, and misbehaviors uh, for for decades. And this is, you know, a man we have on the court. And of course, it makes me think of Kavanaugh. We did this again, right? These powerful men who have credible allegations of sexual violence and sexual misconduct, and they're sitting on the highest court. They definitely are. And, and uh, I'll, I'll go back to Clarence Thomas in a second. But when it comes to Justice Kavanaugh, there, I can remember being in a hotel a lobby where they serve you breakfast, which is standard operating procedure these days. And uh, we were finishing our breakfast. They had a big TV on with Fox News there. And they had Kavanaugh's face on there. He was answering a question. It was on tape. And I remember an elderly couple and the wife, she and her husband were watching this. And it said it all for me when she was watching this interview with Kavanaugh. And she said, I feel so sorry for that man and what he had to endure. And I said to Suzanne as we walked out to the car because we were checking out at the time, that's what's wrong with America. That's one of the, you can look at that as a, as a moment, a snapshot in time. If the sympathy is going toward the person who is credibly, in my view, accused of these things, and the FBI investigation certainly is warranted, and this woman went through hell telling her story, and I'm sure she got her share of hate mail, death threats, and the whole thing, trying to explain what happened to her. That's where we are. People are choosing up sides in this country in a way that just might make Marjorie Taylor Greene's desire for a national divorce a reality in the electoral 
sense, if not literally with secession and schism, there is a great trend toward political schism attitudinally right now over things just like this. Yeah, absolutely, Gary. And it's interesting, the parallels between Kavanaugh and uh, Justice Thomas, right? We now know, uh, it's been confirmed, that the FBI tip line and all of the tips that were coming in uh, around Kavanaugh uh, went nowhere. We know that the White House did nothing with him. Uh, we know that the FBI did nothing with him. That news came out, of course, well after he was confirmed. And also there's a you know film at Sundance that premiered um, that documented additional allegations. Uh, and it, it's fast. It, I was watching Kavanaugh and thinking that he epitomizes Darvo, which is what a lot of um, perpetrators, sexual perpetrators engage in, which is you, uh, it's a pattern of behavior where you deny the allegations and then you attack the person who's made them and you reverse the offender and the victim. So he became the, the victim in all of this. Meanwhile, there are multiple allegations. I would argue credible the, the moment that more than one comes forward, the odds that it didn't happen go down to less than 1%. Um, Christine Blasey Ford, Dr. Ford had to relocate her family. She has security detail. It upended her entire life because he was reframed as the victim. And it is troubling that these are men we allow to be in the most prominent positions in American politics. I mean, can't we find people, can't we nominate folks who, who don't have rape allegations? Is is that too high of a bar? Yeah. In terms of Clarence Thomas, this is a fresh controversy. What occurs to me, and it's like nothing I've ever seen, Caroline, I saw the results of the latest survey. I forget who took the poll, but the results were posted on MSNBC last night. Suzanne and I watched that, sh that network every day there. And it was shocking to me that not that many years ago, the Supreme Court enjoyed a 75% approval rating, which is a trust rating. People had faith in the Supreme Court. Today, SCOTUS is underwater. Yep. And this is the first time since modern polling, right? We started taking scientific polls in the 1930s. And uh, Gary, you're, you're making a great point that uh, the, the approval rating and the trust in the court has declined precipitously. And as someone who's taught American politics uh, for the last two decades, uh, I used to say, and everyone in their classrooms used to say, you know, the president presidential approval is really tough. You can't hold on to high ratings for very long because you'll disaffect people over time. Uh, Congress is also very variable, but the Supreme Court is always the branch that has the highest approval ratings. Well, that's no longer the case, right? So their approval ratings are in the toilet, I think, for a number of reasons. Um, one would be, you know, the what all of the hijinks uh, that happened with Merrick Garland not being seated. And I know it's not a, a, a sexy topic, but I think it really bothered people who care about democracy and the Constitution, regardless of political party. And maybe that's a smaller segment of the population. But then the Kavanaugh hearings eroded our trust in the court as well. Uh, and, and of course, now the court is seen as essentially being packed and conservative and it's out of step with public opinion. And this is the first time this has happened in U.S. history where the Supreme so the Supreme Court, I should clarify, is often out of out of um, step with public opinion. But it is almost always 
or to date has always been on the progressive side, right? So pushing for racial desegregation before the country, maybe the polling, and certainly the polling in the South was ready for it, right? Um, pushing for Roe v. Wade, even though there was a big split in the country. So this is the first time where the court is out of step on the opposite side and have uh, the first time also that they rolled back a fundamental right. When they rolled back Roe, uh, that was uh, enshrined as a, a constitutional fundamental right in the Constitution. First time we've seen that, but it's not just this issue, right? It's not the fact that 85% of Americans support abortion in some, at least some circumstances, and the court has just overturned that right. Um, it's also environmental rights. Uh, it's also, you know, their, their handling of corporate cases. So what we're going to see is this court will increasingly be seen um, as, uh, you know, a going against the people. So what do you do with a branch that is not elected for which there is almost no accountability? As I noted, I don't think Clarence Thomas will be removed even given these egregious ethical violations. So what do you do when one out of three of your branches doesn't have mechanisms of accountability, but is essentially anti-democratic? Well, you know, that's a scary proposition given what has been happening with the legislature. The most hopeful thing that I have heard in quite a long time occurred last night when one of the gentlemen, and I'm so sorry, I don't remember who it was, was saying that he felt like this was becoming too much for the independent people, not extreme light, right or extreme left, but the whole center of the country what was occurring was going to become so intolerable that it was definitely going to move the dial more liberal in the next election. That was a very hopeful thing that was said because I don't want to see this country going backwards. So do you have any sense about what might occur in 2024 along those lines? I would agree with whoever that commentator was. I think the best evidence that there the pendulum will swing to the left, mostly because of the overturn of Roe, is the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, in in off you know presidential years and midterm elections, there's always a shellacking for the party that's in power. Right, Democrats should have lost you know upwards of of 50 seats by some estimates given the economy um and yet uh, if you remember it was a nail biter we didn't even know what was going to happen in the house and it it shouldn't have been that close in other words uh even though republicans gained the house of representatives they considered it a pretty big loss uh they blamed the overturn of roe they blamed trump's involvement in races that were choosing candidates that were uh less competitive uh, but I, I think it was a clear condemnation of the overturn of Roe, and it was the first opportunity a lot of voters had to do that. We also saw, you know, we're seeing rejections of um, of anti-abortion legislation in different states. You know, vote the vote in Wisconsin. You see uh, state after state, even you know, questionable kind of um, swing states. You see them rejecting this idea that abortion should be illegal. And so I think it's a lightning rod for how extreme the Republican Party has become. And of course, it's not everyone in the Republican Party. Like Marco Rubio is still a pretty reasonable person. You know, they're all sorts of reasonable. I have Republican friends who are reasonable, who are concerned about basically how the extreme wing wing has hijacked it, the party. Um, The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boeberts who, you know, hold a lot of power over Speaker Kevin McCarthy right now. But all of this to say, 
I think we're seeing polling indicating uh, that indeed, like what just happened with the Supreme Court, right? Um, in um, looking at, I'm sorry, not the, the, the state Supreme Court um, in Wisconsin, where you see the voters having a very clear decision um, about what they're going to do, right? Whether they're going to um, put in somebody who's going to gerrymander their state, and that's the most gerrymandered state in the nation, um, and put tighter abortion restrictions in place. They, instead of doing that, they elected a uh, Supreme Court justice who is going to address the gerrymandering, who is going to address the abortion issue. I mean, a very clear statement in swing states. And so I'm looking at this and I'm saying, if I'm a Republican, I'm worried about 2024 and I'm worried about beyond 2024. Also, I think uh, women as a sleeping giant, if if, uh, if if anybody wakes up to what they're doing with women's rights, oh my God, it it would be a tsunami of votes uh, against the Republicans. I think independent women, for sure, we're seeing them break. Independent women. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, you know, Republican women have, but are very strongly, you know, anti-abortion uh, yes. for religious reasons, for, you know, they've made a bargain with the patriarchy, right, um, that... Uh, they they're more traditional and conventional and they believe that other women should live that way too and of course um gary and suzanne uh we want people to live how they want to live as long as they're not harming anyone else right which is a basic tenet of uh, i think freedom in the united states and it's a real shame to see what's happening with abortion rights. i will say with abortion rights we become the laughing stock of the world we really have um there's the idea that we would take away a right that's become so fundamental in most countries around the globe, um, the United States is just seen as very backward right now. In more than one way. I mean, we we do not head a lot of the, the lists of good things of countries around the world, um, including healthcare, education, um, lives, uh, live births, everything. We're hey, way families. down there. And, and then People don't look into the facts of the matter and they think, you know, we're still the greatest country. We're, we're on a, a steep slope going in the wrong direction. Well, and our, our gun, you know, our guns make us a laughing stock as well. No other, no other country on the planet has experimented with humans, letting them have guns in this way and imagine that it's a, it's obviously not going well. You know, we've run that experiment. We've run the experiment of easy access to guns. And guess what? Our species really can't handle that. And we can talk all day long about, uh, and we we have identified what drives it, uh, what drives mass shootings. Uh, but we have, at the end of the day, we can't, um, we as humans, right, for a variety of reasons, cannot be trusted with this responsibility. I think that the experiment is done, it's clear, and now we need to act on it. And of course we won't because we're talking about an industry that makes about $28 uh, billion um, each year. They, there's no way, given the money involved in this, that we're actually gonna have a reasonable conversation about this. And given the way in which we have uh, widely misinterpreted the Second Amendment regarding well-regulated uh, you know, militias, um, somehow that means everybody has a handgun or a shotgun. We have 400 million, somewhere between 300 and 400 million um, guns in the United States, right, which we're not going to get back easily, even if we were to pass a law tomorrow. But it, it's just absurd. Uh, the way we are seen as ridiculous in the by the by folks across the globe, because, you know, when you look at it from the outside, it is ridiculous that this is where we our policies have landed us. 
I'm glad you said, well, all that you've said, Caroline, but in particular regarding the Second Amendment, I love the slick convenience that with which people who are gun advocates address the Second Amendment because they never quote it in whole, only in part. part yes. the, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed, but the predicate prior to that phrase is in order to maintain a well-regulated militia. Suzanne and I visited several years ago, we visited Colonial Williamsburg, and we went to what that would look like or what it was originally meant to look like. They're in a strategic place in town. You go there and they had reconstructed and they maintain a, an armament facility. It has a conical structure and it's layered so that you have different types of guns to which people may repair when there's a threat, an immediate threat to the community. You get your gun, you do your share, you, you fight the invading enemy, whomever that might be. We had big problems with the British at the time, so they were the presumed enemy. But it was structured in a way to necessitate and invite a community response to the threat. It had nothing to do with, for example, what's going to go into effect in the state where we reside, Florida, on July 1, any Yahoo who doesn't have a, a felony conviction can go and get a gun. You go, if you're 18 years of age or older, you go, you buy a gun, you do not have to have training, very little background checking on you down to about zero, and you can carry that gun openly to the supermarket, any place you want to go. I wonder how Disney's going to react to this, you know, the Magic Kingdom. And coming July 1, that is going to be something which certain personalities, and I've seen it before, are going to use to luxuriate in their newfound open freedom to carry weapons of mass destruction to show up. It almost seems to me in the case of the AR-15 as a glamorous phallic symbol to many people and with very next to no restriction on their public carry and use. I look at that and I ask, what could Ron DeSantis, our illustrious governor, what could he possibly be thinking could come of this except playing to the base to get votes as a prospective presidential candidate, which is a benefit solely to himself. And that's precisely what it is, right? This is politics over people. This is uh, Governor Bashir in Kentucky, whose friend was gunned down um, in the, the Louisville shooting, um, it, it, who, you know, is still not going to take action that I, I would hope he would take. And I should say, I say this, as someone who grew up in gun country, as so, as uh, someone who has owned firearms, who um, it, you know greatly enjoys the play aspect and sport aspect of it, but I think we're not just not being honest, right? We can look at this and say, yeah, it's not working. We need to start afresh, start anew. This is not what the framers intended. They didn't intend for us to have forty thousand deaths a year. They didn't intend uh, for you know, as you're pointing out, you know. Um, basically machine gun, I mean, semi-automatic. They didn't intend for the type of weaponry to be readily available to anyone at any time. And, and these are weapons that are being, by and large, lawfully obtained. So all of our mechanisms, whatever we put into place, um, is not working, right? Even in states where we have laws that have background checks, it it is really difficult to address this. And I think it's difficult to address this issue 
because um, humans, right, we as a species are not really capable. We've, we've not evolved enough to be able to have ready access to firearms. And I think that's a fact that nobody, especially not anyone in the industry wants to face. Um, but then of course it becomes a matter of practicality. So if we were to all agree on that, I think it's pretty clear given the evidence, um, how would we act on that? Uh, in Australia, they had a gun buyback, they had a mass shooting and a gun buyback and they haven't had a mass shooting since. Uh, people willfully gave up their firearms because they were concerned. They they gave up an individual right because they were concerned about the the health and well being of the community. I think we lack community in, uh, of that sort of sense in the United States. I also think that you know, as you pointed out, Gary, that guns are have been masculinized. They're part of this very hyper macho stereotype of masculinity in America. And oftentimes, in fact, you see these shooters, Jack, Dr. Jackson Katz has written extensively about this, but you see uh, mass shooters who um, take up the gun in order to you know, perform their masculinity or display their masculinity. They've been bullied. They maybe have a smaller body size. They're overcompensating. And so we see the same pattern of, of behavior where you have these misogynistic men who, who are heavily invested in masculinity and take up firearms and engage in a mass shooting in order uh, as, as a display of masculinity at, in some way. Um, it's troubling. And yet again, can't have a real conversation because of the, I think, money involved and the way in which uh, the gun lobby, the big gun lobby uh, has managed to frame guns as a fundamental part of white American manhood. Very well said. And then I look at the flip side and it disturbs me greatly when more than one mouthpiece, Charlie Kirk is one, he's got about a million followers on Twitter. I don't listen to him, but I did uh, catch a quote from him. Apparently he feels that these mass shootings, including of school children are, and the words just, I don't even want to say them, but it is acceptable in his mind to take the risk of slaughtering children in order to protect second amendment rights. And at that point, I have nothing else I can say. If that's acceptable to anybody in this country, we're talking about the complete absence of reason. Absolutely. And and I see it with my students. It's not just folks who have lived through a mass shooting. It's the trauma we're causing generation after generation going through mass shooter drills. Uh, there are drills all the time happening that are you know causing young people to be uh, on edge, to have high anxiety. Somebody walks into the classroom, right? I have students telling me about these experiences that don't involve mass shootings, but because we have mass shootings, uh, we, ha we have other traumas happening, right? Um, our school children simply don't feel safe. They don't feel safe going to school. Uh, homeschool numbers are rapidly increasing. Every time there's a mass shooting, we see the number of homeschoolers uh, go up, and which makes sense. I don't think it's ideal in terms of socialization and getting to meet people who aren't like you and find, you know, folks from other backgrounds. But if you were a parent, would you be sending your kid to school? It's a, it's a scary proposition. And how is that where we are in 2023 in the United States? And with that, let's take our one and only break of the hour. We are talking to Dr. Caroline Heldman of Occidental College. And there's so much more to discuss. There always is, isn't there? And we will take up as much time with that fruitfully on the other side of our short break. We are Manson Mitchell. Thank you for listening. We will be right back. 
I'm Gary Mance. And I'm Suzanne Mitchell. It's time for the 2023 KKNW Listener Survey. Please log on to 1150kknw.com after our show and complete the listener survey. Your responses will ensure quality program like Manson Mitchell continues on this station. As an added incentive, you will have a chance to win round-trip tickets for two on the Victoria Clipper to beautiful Victoria, B.C. Plus a $100 gift certificate to Famous Dave's Restaurant. On behalf of KKNW, Manson Mitchell, and all of the fine shows on our station, thank you for taking the time to help us improve your listening experience. You've got to play to win, and one lucky person's name will be drawn on April 23 for the trip. Log on to KKNW right after Manson Mitchell and fill out the survey. Complete contest rules can be found at 1150kknw.com. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Caroline Heldman for another discussion of today's news in a nation where the current of controversy is always running. On Saturday, Bill Champlin joins us for an hour of divination that we call Time for Tarot. And we'll be taking your calls for mini readings. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our very special guest this hour, Professor Caroline Heldman. Always great to have her on with us. Caroline, if people would like to find out more about you, what you do, your books, we've read at least one of your books here on our bookshelves. Um, How would they go about doing that? You can go to my website, drcarolineheldman.com. I have a new book coming out called The Sexy Lie, The War on Women's Bodies and How to Fight Back, which is a project I've been working on for two decades. But uh, in, in, in that time, the, the problem I'm addressing has gotten far worse, which is 
the the effects of the widespread objectification of girls and women in our culture and how it affects girls and women. Uh, it leads to a lot of you know increased um, mental health issues uh, as well as um, body shame, uh, lower political efficacy, lower personal confidence, also you know personal empowerment. Um, so I'm really interested in interrupting this the script, the idea that being a sex object is empowering, and I just provide a lot of theoretical and empirical evidence to that end. Uh, so it's it's a book that'll help girls and women, especially young women who are kind of coming to, to terms with the fact that our primary value is our bodies versus what we do in the world, that we're primarily evaluated based upon how we look. So um, that is a, a plug for my new book, but yeah, .com. Uh Caroline, are you engaged with other people, pr probably primarily women, who are doing something similar to what it is that you're doing? Is there is there a community of women who are trying to get the word out about this? Or do you feel like you're like a lone wolf? About women's sexual objectification? Yes. Yeah. It's definitely, there are fewer voices now. So in this, in the seventies, this is, you know, kind of a, it's a new um, take on the radical feminist position of the 1970s. We used to know this. We used to have this knowledge that being a sex object wasn't empowering. It was just a basic critique. It was obvious and then along came, you know, consumers and marketers who co-opted feminism and packaged packaged it and resold it to us as this idea that somehow, um, you know, being being a basing our um, value and our worth on what other people think about us is somehow empowering. You know, I make the argument that um, that uh, women being sexually objectified and that being such a core part of who we are that you know subjects act. And objects are acted upon. So even if you're a very valuable sex object, you're still forever. Uh, your value is derived from um, what other people think of you. It's a subordinate position that men are encouraged to be sexual subjects in our society and women are, can, are uh, encouraged to be sexual objects. So in that, there are some folks, um, they're, they're activists around this. It's an odd place where you have a lot of conservative activists. And I, that's not me. I'm, you know... I want more sex. I want better sex. I want women's sexual freedom. Um, I'm not interested in kind of curtailing that, but there's some overlap there. Um, there's also a number of really powerful documentaries. Uh, Jennifer Siebel Newsom's documentary, Misrepresentation, is probably the, it, not probably, it is hands down the best critique of uh, the harms of treating girls and women as sex objects in, in media. So misrepresentation, check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, Jennifer Siebel Newsom also does a lot of other incredible work uh, around this issue. So there are some folks, this is a really long-winded response, Suzanne, to your question, but there's there are a few folks who are making this claim. And I will say, uh, young women in my classrooms are hungry for this because it, they know something is off. They can't figure out what it is. They... They know that their sexual freedom being defined by marketers is not really working for them and by pornographers is not really working for them, but they can't figure out why. And this gives you that language. The reason that I asked that question is I don't hear a lot about this on TV in our our shows. The the only one that that I'm aware of, and I, I frankly don't watch the show is that law and order SVU special victims unit 
Um, but I don't hear this as a normal course of conversation. And so in, in seeing um, women come out with these uh, abortion laws coming out and protesting, I'm, I'm looking at that and, and I'm knowing that it's a small part of something much bigger that hasn't been addressed. And, and so that's, that's why I'm wondering if there's more going on that you're aware of that is behind the scenes, because I just don't see that front and center. And, and it's almost like what, what we did as younger women, um, you know, fighting a good fight, it, it's now, it, it seems like we're losing battles. And so we're not going forward with, you know, equality. Uh, we don't have that constitutional amendment that got stalled. And so uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, what is happening in that arena? And if there's only a few people working on this, it seems like this is a, a time where the pendulum is going in the wrong direction. It's definitely an uphill battle. Uh, a lot of folks think that gender justice has already been achieved. And Suzanne, you're right. That we've it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Not at all. We've had, you know, about two decades of what I would call quietude. Yes. Feminism. Yeah. And yeah. it has a lot to do, I, I would argue, a lot to do with the rise of a type of, of kind of consumer or choice feminism, which watered down feminism so much. It it, it reduced, it basically, choice feminism basically says anything women choose to do is feminist, which is ridiculous because then I look at Sarah Palin, who calls herself a feminist, but cut funding for uh, abortion, you know, uh, for abortion support, for uh, rape kit testing, for women support, uh, you name it. She was anti-feminist in Wasilla, and she gets to call herself a feminist because when you say that feminism is anything that women choose to do without being critical about how it actually affects women as a group, um, then feminism doesn't mean anything. And so I think a lot of folks think the fight has been done. One, uh, the most prominent form of feminism is very consumerist and choice-based and, and watered down. Yeah, we need a new feminist movement. And I mm-hmm. imagine that that it is being, it, it feels like it is being galvanized. I will say around issues, the Me Too movement, around issues of sexual violence, the overturn of Roe, um, certainly I feel like um, we are seeing more activism now than we have for two for two decades. Fox News. <laughs> you Fox had to bring News. them up. <laughs> Fox News. Fox, not the news. Um, you know, it, Fox News, am, am I correct? And you have been on Fox News, so you're speaking with some authority about this. But if I if I recall my my facts about this, it's a made up TV station decades ago around starting with what Richard Nixon and Roger Ailes um, to, to promote a a certain point of view. Absolutely. So it's, it's a, it started in, in 1996 um, and it's, it's propaganda, but it is shiny propaganda. Um, Yes. I was on Fox news for years. Uh, Guess why? I mean, I'm the liberal punching bag, obviously, but I'm blonde. So what does Fox do to appeal to its viewers? It has, you know, it has these um, cryons. Pretty blonde, pretty blonde. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Suzanne. But, you know, I I understand their game, right? They just put a bunch of pretty faces up to say some really ugly things. 
that's Fox News in a nutshell for me. Um, and yes, I was I appeared on hundreds of of did hundreds of media appearances and um, was uh, not asked back after you know coming forward about uh, Bill O'Reilly's sexist and you know discriminatory gender discriminatory treatment in the workplace, shall we say? I mean, oh. The man had multiple. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he knew that, but. Um, okay. But yes, I filed a complaint against Bill O'Reilly. I was one of many, many women who did that. Um, and and in fact, I, well, yeah, um, I was, I filed a complaint uh, with the Fox News hotline about his um, his treatment of me and went in to teach my morning class and said to my students, I've just done, done a kind of a scary thing. And uh, I'm, you know, expecting that it might have some repercussions. And I got an alert before the end of class that he had been fired. Um, wow. And, but it, it was, I think, part of maybe part of the contract. I'm not sure. But part of the contract that if one more complaint is filed, that sort of a situation. Um, all of this to say, yeah, Fox was like, when I was there, it was like the Wild West of sexual harassment. I've never worked in a place like that. And I wasn't even, I wasn't even there very often. You know, I would go to New York and and it would just, I, I was aghast at how commonplace the sexual harassment was. And I don't think all of these cases, you know, that came forward with Gretchen Carlson and others, they weren't a surprise to anyone who spent time at Fox News. All of this to say, that's kind of the culture of Fox. Um, it is uh, definitely a propaganda machine. And we saw that so clearly in the 2020 election, which is what I imagine you want to talk about with this Dominion case. Actually, I wanted to make one comment about that. And I don't know if you heard this, but it was during all of this uh, legal ramblings, somebody, I don't know whether it was Murdoch or one of the other top people, but they said, oh, well, we're not, we're not a news station. We're, we do entertainment. <laughs> and so that was part of our entertainment. It's like we 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 weren't really lying. We were just winking and nodding in entertainment. I told my best friend about 10 years ago, well, you know, Fox News is not really news, don't you? And she looked at me all doe-eyed like she didn't know that. And and I, I said, no, it's it it isn't. It is not real news. And and I I'm all and so today they admitted they're not real news. They're just entertainment. It's their way of, yes, protecting themselves, obviously, legally now, because this is, I, I think, a very serious case for them or against them. Um, yeah, Fox is Fox is not. So if anyone is still harboring the belief that Fox is news, I can tell you how they make their news uh, because I had a, you know, a front row seat. Uh, they uh, collect Producers collect information from actual news agencies that are on the ground getting the information. They'll circulate CNN articles, New York Times articles, you know, actual news organizations. And that, so they'll they'll gather information that other actual news stations are putting together. So if I'm going to go on a show, they'll send me a bunch of links and say, this, these are the topics we're going to be discussing. So I know where their sources are. Their sources are legit. Um, and then they have meetings where they discuss how they're going to take a news story, for example, that that uh, like down the middle CNN put out. They discuss how they're going to frame it, given their, you know, their right wing framing. So, for example, the immigration uh, issue, they use really incendiary language that dehumanizes uh, Latin immigrants, right, or migrants, very specifically. And that's planned. 
So they take actual news that other people gather and then they frame it in a way uh, and in a very manipulative way in order to produce uh, play upon fears. And we saw this with, you know, in the Dominion case, they they were worried about losing viewers um, because if they told the truth about what happened in the 2020 election and you see all these newscasters, well, they're not newscasters, right? They're hosts, as you point out. Suzanne, hosts right? They're entertainment hosts, right? They're entertainers, and I'm doing my jazz hands right now. This is what I think of when I think of Tucker Carlson. Um, he talked about how much he disliked Donald Trump. You had all of these people, you know, calling calling him, uh, taking calling him terrible things and taking him to task behind the scenes and then going on the air and bloviating and promoting his lies. And the issue in the Dominion case uh is that they might actually be able to prove it. It's so hard to prove these defamation, these these cases, these defamation cases because of the First Amendment. And especially given a, a Supreme Court ruling in, in 19, uh, 1964, which basically said you have to prove malice. You have to prove that you willfully and recklessly put out misinformation. And I'm looking at just the publicly available evidence. I think there might actually be a case here. And all of this is playing out at a station which, when Bill O'Reilly reigned supreme, proudly, boldly declared that that was the no-spin zone. And it sounds to me like it's all spin. Absolutely. That, yes. the Every time I would hear that as I was coming on air, I would have to stifle, you know, a laugh because at the end of the day, it, it's it's not just spin. It's tightly woven, carefully planned spin. So if you turn on Fox for the day, you're going to hear the same framing, whatever the subject is, you're going to hear the same frames. There'll be probably two of them about the story all day long, right? Um, and, it, and of course, it's also agenda setting. They cover stories that are non-news stories, right? Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, I, they 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 drum things up. So they set the agenda and then they frame it in very specific ways. And again, if you listen to them all day long, you can actually play a fun game called what What are the talking points today? Because you'll hear it across all of the shows, whether they're quote unquote news shows or their opinion shows, you'll hear the exact same things being said again and again. In the few minutes that we have remaining, Caroline, I just wanted to, to ask you, because I, I'm very quizzical about this, uh, Kansas, Thank God for the women of Kansas especially decided, no, we won't take the right to an abortion out of our state constitution. I found that stunning. What a victory. But that happened in the context of election cycles in which I perceive pretty clearly a trend among Republicans and some independents to the tunes of dozens of men, maybe 70 million people who are perfectly happy with strongman government. There, when I was learning civics and history in school, strongman government was anathema to the American spirit, to our self-identity, and it seems to be in vogue in recent years. How did that happen? Well, I think that <laughs> the long or short of a much longer answer um, from my take is that we have seen a significant shift in the social order when it comes to how power is allocated in society. We see women, we see people of color, we see, you know, women of color, uh, we see folks who are traditionally marginalized, gaining more power, gaining more voice in our culture. Now, have we achieved equity and parity? No, we have not. We have a long way to go. But I think we have made significant progress. If you look at the last half of, uh, you know, the last 50 years, half a century, 
And that is very frightening for folks who both benefit from and are comfortable with the existing social order. And so a Donald Trump character comes in and plays upon their fears. And really the enemy in the pain and suffering of most white folks is going to be capitalism, right? I should say unfettered capitalism. I, I am, embrace capitalism for what it can bring us, but I'm very, you know, it, it has to have accountability. It has to have a backstop so that the every every person um, isn't harmed. And so I think that it's, it's very appealing when you are suffering economically and someone comes in and they say, your pain is caused by the progress being made by other people instead of the actual enemy, which is your pain is being caused by exploitive capitalism. Um, it, it plays upon their fears and they are willing to follow him to the ends of the earth and in fact have a persecution complex around it, right? He's almost godlike because he has given, he has helped them make sense of their life. He has empowered them to be okay with blaming the wrong people and to engage in hatred against those people. And it is a terrible place to be, but I think um, you're right, Gary, it, it threatens our democracy. So beyond all of the culture wars, it actually fundamentally threatens our democracy when we're willing to have more of a dictatorial or authoritarian leader in place who agrees with us uh, rather than going rather than buttressing our democratic procedures and putting someone in place who is going to support that. Well, thank you for that elegant explanation. We live in the hot house laboratory for that very thing right now with our governor planning eventually to announce that he's running for president. Everybody knows that's where he's headed. And the bottom line is when they tell you that Ron DeSantis will do a great thing for America by turning America into Florida. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. Run and warn the others. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Caroline Heldman. We love it when you join us. We are privileged to have you anytime you wish to appear on our program. It's a joy to see you and talk with you. Thank you so much. All right. Okay, stay tuned. We will do this all again tomorrow. And you will have trip talk this afternoon at one o'clock. Talking about Bodie, California, America's best ghost town. Talk about tripping back into the past. There's gold in them hills. And we hope you'll join us. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great weekend.